Ezekiel 22.30, either look in your Bibles or up on the screen. Uh, Ezekiel writes, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. I searched for a man who would build up the wall and stand where? In the gap. And he'd do it before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. And so the Marine Corps clearly states that they want a few good men, but honestly, only the best of the best make it through their training. My, uh, my grandson-to-be, uh, his training now in uh, biological warfare. And so he's over at Fort Leonard Wood, and we're, we're looking forward to him graduating this month. But uh, he, he tells of the training that they had, and uh, we, uh, uh, we came through some tough training too. I, I came out of uh, the, um, they call it air assault now, they used to call it air mobile, where you, you jump out of, out of uh, helicopters without a parachute and, and live, but, uh, and did some other stuff too. But, but uh, you know, they take you through the dirt and the muck and the mire, and the devil does the same thing with us, friends. And God is saying, but I'm looking out there for some good men, men. Women, I'm I'm not discounting you. You're you're wonderful. You're incredible. And and particularly, ladies, that you've had to do it yourself uh, as both mom and dad. But today, I want to attach some some, uh, texture to the men in our group. Gaither, Bill Gaither, uh, wrote a song stating that God needs a few good men, and it was uh, accented by highlighting a, a few good men who died on 9-11. This was what was demonstrated, and he wrote that song for it. So, this world needs good men. So, I offer two penetrating questions today. Does God want good men, or does God want good godly men? Godly men are good, but good men are not necessarily godly. And, and is being good in and of itself enough? Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's, here's what good godly men do. They do the right thing. Good godly men do the right thing. They have a godly worldview. They have a good view of eternity. Good godly men are known for their actions. They don't sit back on their laurels. They're always at the, at the point of the spear. They're known for their heart. These are men with a heart after God, going hot with that heart after God. Meet the needs of the family and others, and they're both their physical and spiritual, and they don't follow the crowd, but they follow Christ. That's what good godly men do. Two Bible accounts show what I mean here. So again, I ask, what is good God looking for? good or godly men. The first account is in Second Chronicles, and it tells the story of Judah's king Asa. When, when Asa came to the throne, he did what was right in the sight of God. Asa went into the land of Judah. He was the king of Judah. He went in and he tore down the uh, uh, altars and he tore down the, uh, the, uh, the thrones in the, in the high places, he shattered the pillars, he sawed up the, the poles where they worshipped, and he influenced the people of Judah to seek God after all things. Go after God. 
And the Ethiopian army came in, pardon me, the Ethiopian army came in and waged war against Judah. He sought God's help. And he, God gave him the victory against incredible odds. Read the, read the account in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 22. And this put fear in the hearts of, of the kings and gave uh, peace to the people of Judah. But that's not the end of the story. You know, after a while, you live in peace, you're, you're settled, you're, you're happy, you, you don't have any trials, nobody's coming after you. What happens? We get complacent. We kind of take things for granted. It's not, it's not like we have to fight hard anymore. And so here comes, here comes the bad guys again. And, and uh, Asa went to another king for help rather than to God. And, and while they won the victory, Asa lost a blessing of God. This was a big deal to God. Disrespect, disobedience. God, God does not play, friends. Remember that. This is what He expects us to do. And when we don't follow that, it's called sin. And it, is, it, is, it, it breaks the heart of God when we sin, we His family. So He sent Hananiah to, uh, to Asa with a message of confrontation. And, and, and this is how it played out. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. You've acted foolishly in this. He's he's talking to the king. You've acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Till the rest of your life, Asa. Because you played games, because you weren't serious about the things of, of mine, War will not leave your house. See, God's searching and seeking and in quest for those men whose hearts are totally sold out for Him. And becoming one of those men is not for the, for the faint of heart, for the, for the half-hearted, for, the, for those who, who are lack, have lackluster loyalty. It's, it requires courage and commitment. If you're a man of God, if you're a good man of God, you're not going to lack commitment. His eyes are still running to and fro looking for such men. Well, the second account is found over in Ezekiel. And the Jewish nation, <laughs> these guys, they couldn't get along. You know, if they were by themselves, they couldn't get along. So, so Judah and, and uh, uh, was to the, Israel was to the north, Judah was to the south. They were having problems. And, and Israel is documented as having one bad king after another. They all did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God warned Israel and called on them to repent of their wickedness and turn and follow Him, and their response was to reject the call of God. Ah, now, here's, here's the deal. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where God's calling you. He's calling you to this church. He's calling you to be a, a, a whatever it is that He's calling you to do. You know, I, I got my... We've got... We've got dyed-in-the-wool missionaries here that, that can't get back to their call because of, because of physical things. And, and, and Ben and Joy are just chomping at the bit wanting to get back to the Philippines to serve the field where they were called. Good man. Good woman. Serving God. 
The response of these guys, though, was to reject that call. And so resisting God exacts a price. So around 722 B.C., uh, Israel fell to the Assyrians and were taken off into captivity. Around 50, 50, 586 B.C., uh, Judah fell to the Babylonians, and they were taken off to captivity. So, so instead of living in the land of promise, they wound up living in a land of captivity and penalty and cruelty. Why did it happen? Ezekiel 22, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall, stand in the gap before me in the, for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. These guys were all after themselves and not after God. And God's searching for men who's going to repair that wall. And that, that wall can be our culture today. We're in a culture war, friends. We're in a war that our culture says it's okay, and, and this is not political, this is biblical, it's okay to kill unborn. Worse yet, it's okay to kill those that have been born. And even worse yet than that is it's okay to have throwaway children. We throw them into the system and there aren't enough people of foster who have the, the heart and burden to give a home to these kids. And so we have a foster care problem that is unimaginable in Shawnee County. Not, not, not just the nation. <laughs> in Shawnee County, right where, you, right where you park your car and buy your groceries and eat the food in the restaurants, right here. It's a huge need. Our, our, our culture says that it's okay to, to disrespect uh, those who are in authority over us. It's okay to do what we want to do because, after all, this is our freedom, this is our right. It's okay to make demands when you're not even a part of the United States. We're searching for men who are going to repair our country militarily, politically, in the community. We're searching for men who will repair the churches. We've got a lot of empty, empty seats here. I reserve these up here for the angels, so don't anybody sit up there. If you have to sit up here, I'll have to change an angel to go someplace else. And they're kind of cranky this time of year. They, they kind of like to be up front because of the, you know, tomb thing. Uh, they enjoy that worship. <laughs> but, but our churches are empty. But there are faithful men and women who are coming and saying, you know what, this is not habit. This is what I have to do because this is what I do to worship God. And I've got faithful men of God, good, godly men, who say this is important to me as well. God's searching for men who will not only repair the wall but stand in the gap. It's important to understand the language in the text. Uh, uh, the writer is using the word ish, which stands for man, uh, the male gender. Uh, the word ha-adam is out of man, and that speaks of men and woman, women. And so Adam being the first man, out of him came Eve from his, from his rib, out of him came Eve and came the, the nations today. But Ish is man. Now, you ladies, don't, don't roll your eyes at me and saying, yeah, you're right, I'm married to Ish. In Greek, ladies, your name is Gune. 
or Goonie. But I digress. There's a gap, though, between man and God. And God is righteous and mankind by nature is unrighteousness. And we do this by not answering his call. When Jesus ministered on the earth, he called 12 guys. He says, follow me. And today we talk about walking with God, but we can never walk with him until we follow after Christ, right? And Christ stood in the gap between our wickedness and God's righteousness, and it cost him his life, and we're going to be celebrating that in this next two weeks. And God is calling men today to be the ones who will repair the wall and stand in the gap because their heart is completely and totally, 100% devoted to him. Our culture has lied to us about what it means to be a man, just like it's It's lied to us about what it means to be a father. See, any male whose boys can swim can sire a child. But being a father takes a whole lot more. The man God's looking for is much more. Do you want to be a wall builder and a gap stander? This This is the guy who will reject passivity. This this is the guy who will accept responsibility. This is a guy who leads the family, the church, the country courageously. This is a guy that expects a greater reward, which is God's reward. Okay, that was the preamble. (laughs) Three points and it, it it won't be long. The first thing, God's man demonstrates compassion. God's man demonstrates compassion. Our culture has two extremes. The one, on the one hand, is the hard, cold, callous guy who expresses little emotion and no remorse. Or the other type of guy is the one who has been emasculated and is effeminate. He's led around by his nose. I tease. I have the last word in our house, and it's, yes, dear. But I do that because I honor my wife. But I lead my wife. And I shepherd my wife, as I'm hoping you men do as well. This man has discarded, discarded all the attributes of his, of his manhood and taken on the qualities which can be equated with, with women. And quite honestly, the emasculation of manhood has contributed to the decay of Christianity and the church. Real men, and I'm not talking about the hairy-legged chest beaters, I'm talking about the real men who understand how to lead, whose no is no, and aren't going to be cowed when someone comes against him saying, well, that's not right. Why are you doing it that way? I believe Jesus was a man, yet he was a man of compassion. You know, he was a a carpenter. I've yet to see a carpenter that was a sissy. I've, I've yet to see a man who, who was a carpenter who couldn't tote the, bale and, uh, tote the barge and lift the bale. Tough men. And yet, Jesus, when he saw the multitudes and the woman at the well, and when he arrived at the tomb of Lazarus, he was moved with compassion. Godly men, good godly men are compassionate. Paul writes, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You know what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So kindness, goodness, and self-control, those three fruits 
deal with compassion. And so the compassionate man sees the needs of others, and it's not enough to see the need. He wants to do something about it. By nature, we guys fix. By nature, you ladies don't want to be fixed. You want to be heard. We fix it by listening. <laughs> and then if she says, the, here, here's, I'm giving you a tell here, guys, if you haven't noticed it. Well, what are you going to do about it then? She's wanting the fix. Don't do the fix until the hand goes to the hip and she says, the finger comes out and says, well, what are you, oh, she can even wag it if she's really ticked. What are you going to do about it? That's the fix. Well, my dove, I think this would be a good plan to which she will fall down on her face because you haven't done this for years. I, I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, guys. I, I'm, I'm 50 years, and I have, if it can be done wrong, I've done it. And I've, I've, hopefully I've learned my lesson. I can be free talking because she's somewhere else today. <laughs> the compassionate man sees those needs and wants to fix it. And the men worry of talking about it. Men worry talking about it. They want to do something about it. Church, church, church board meetings. Church, <laughs> they are famous for discussing an issue to death. I call it the paralysis of analysis. <laughs> You can go to a church meeting today, six months from now, not in this church, because we, we do stuff. We get, we get stuff done. Sometimes it takes a while, if it's particularly in the decorating of the th- stuff, but, but we get things done here. But by and large, churches, it takes forever to get things done. And I had a revelation um, this, this month, this past month, and my revelation is... I don't have to pull the wagon. I've got all kinds of people that will pull the wagon with me. You know, in, in, in Bible college and cemetery, seminary, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the pastor calls the shots. I don't see that in the book. So here's what, and I did a, I did a great disservice to a sister of mine, and I have since, I don't know if I asked forgiveness or not, but you need to forgive me if I didn't. But, and it wasn't a big deal, but it was a deal. It was a deal. You wouldn't have wrote me the note if you didn't think if it wasn't a deal. I'm not pointing fingers, but there she sits. But uh, uh, it, it, it was, you know, saying, yeah, I got to talk about it, and then I didn't, and then, you know, so anyway. My revelation is, if you see a ministry you want to do, you say, John, I want to do this. And so I say, it can't cost any money, and I don't have any, any people. You want to do it? I'll rise up and call you blessed. Do it. You have my blessing. And when it starts to succeed, then I'll talk to the treasurer and the elders and the deacons and try and get some cash. They're, 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 they're a thrifty bunch. But when they see ministry moving and working, they're not afraid to invest. So that's the revelation. You say, John, I got a ministry. It's not going to cause an embarrassment or a blight on the church or Jesus' name. Do it. Talk, let's talk about it. And, and, and uh, sometimes I'll scratch my head and say, well, that thing's going to fall like a lead balloon. Or, wow, this is going to go somewhere. 
See, we don't have to all do it ourselves. We can, we can have good godly men and good godly women who aren't going to get stuck in that, in that, in that fix. See, godly men who stand in the gap and repair the wall are men moved to action because of their compassion, which includes salvation. The second thing, the man of God has deep convictions. Your convictions are unshakable, unbreakable, and unchangeable. Those are your convictions. Sadly, too many of us have convictions about things which mean nothing in light of eternity. Godly men have deep conviction about the things of God and their, their relevance to the souls of people today. Godly men are concerned about the souls of their family. Are you praying for your kids, your grandkids, your wife, your husband, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles? Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your church family? Are you praying for your work family? See, men of God are concerned about the souls of their family. Godly men are focused on the spiritual climate in their community. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about the spiritual climate in this community? we got a church on every corner. Sometimes, <laughs> in our case, we got a church on both corners. And, and I'm not throwing rocks because it's a good church. Uh, Dean's a good, godly man. He, he really is. But the godly man is going to have struggles. I, 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 can, I can relate to Paul when he writes in Romans 7, 19 through 22. And I don't want to show of hands, but I think that a nod of head would be good to give me uh, courage that I'm on the right track here. But Paul says... For the good that I want, I do not do. (laughs) But I practice the very evil that I do not want. I no longer, but but if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And this isn't the Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it thing. It's We have a sin nature, and that thing crops up, creeps up, sneaks out, and grabs us by the throat all kinds of times, doesn't it? I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. The good, godly man, the gap stander, the the wall builder, the wall repairer. The godly man is so deeply committed that he says, if you want want to go with me, come on, let's go, let's go. If not, I'll see you later because for me and my house, We're going to go serve Jesus. They don't just talk about it. They do it. And the last thing, the man of God displays Christ. Before you can display him, you got to know him, you got to follow him, and you got to walk with him. And the sad truth is that many people only know the church. It's the building. It's the institution. It's the, we are Southern Baptists. Nothing wrong with being a Southern Baptist. Enjoy it. Embrace it. We're not going to be the only ones in heaven, though. (laughs) But when something upsets them, like a change of pastors or adding or removing a program, they shift the paint job on their car back six inches, leaving the parking lot to get away from us. Listen to the people. I had another revelation early on. It wasn't here a year. And and I'm seeing the, the teachers in the summertime dragging. I mean, they, are, they, are, they come in here dragging. They're worn out. They've been in Awana. They've been in Sunday school. They've been in children's church. They needed a rest. They were complaining about needing a rest. They weren't complaining to me. 
I overheard the conversation. They were complaining. Being a guy and the pastor, I'll fix it. (laughs) Bad decision. Okay, we're going to suspend all children's ministry for the summer. There's still scorch marks in the parking lot where they burned me an effigy. (laughs) Oh, that was a bad decision. Never do that one again. Listen to the people. Because we had good godly women doing a good godly job raising kids to be good godly men and women. Amen? And so, and so doing stupid stuff shouldn't have been on my things to do list. The very reason people walk away though is because the entirety of their faith is wrapped up in an organization and, and the person who knows Christ is going to be deeply committed to a local body because, because the authentic church is the bride of Christ today. The Bible never gives any credence to a believer existing apart from the church. It doesn't happen. However, this country, many, in this country, many people will attend a church if they never have been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature or creation. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul is teaching how life is to be transformed. Consider this. The godly man follows Jesus. When this was the disciples' call as well as ours, there's no other call. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to do two things. Deny himself. Three things, actually. Deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus touched people, he taught people, he served people, he saved people, and his life was given to others. So the life, and so is the life of the godly man. Where are you at in this, my friends? God's searching for men full of compassion who laugh, who love, who cry. But God's call isn't easy. It takes work saying no. Especially if you have spent 68 years in some manner of form or another of, of serving the flesh. It's not easy saying no to the flesh. Because it does, it grips you by the throat. It shakes you and rattles you and rolls you around and, and, and can, can destroy you if you don't have some Jesus on tap. The problem with the good old boys, you know, ah, we're just a bunch of good old boys. The problem with the good old boys is they're never good enough to meet God's standard of character. Good for God isn't good enough. God says, I want good, godly men. Only godly is good enough. Are you the man of God who's going to build the wall and stand in the gap? Are you the woman of God who is going to be behind that man, handing him a brick when he needs to build that wall? And when he drops that brick, Are you going to say, wait a minute, baby, I got this. And you hand him the brick again. Are you going to be that man who stands in the gap for his family? When that family is torn apart by the ravages of our culture, are you going to stand and say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Are you going to stand there being a gap filler 
for that family when it's the chips are down and you're ready to throw in the towel. We've been there. I know what you, if you're going through it, I know what you're going through. Uh, but God is not the author of chaos. And when you stand in the gap for him, he stands in the gap with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. Lord Jesus, to be a gap stander and a wall builder, you know that, that you've commanded us to be a child of yours, that you, you have told us that, that for us to be a child, that, that, we have to, that we have to confess our sin, that we have to ask you to forgive us from our sin, to come into our life and save us from our sin. And Lord, that we thank you that when we believe that you, you died on Calvary, you, you rose from the, from the dead, and we're going to celebrate that next in two weeks. That you did it just for us. You completed the sacrifice for all sin. Lord, those of us who have, who have prayed that prayer, and the prayer doesn't save us. The attitude of heart does. For those who are truly born of you, born again, can now stand and be gap standers, wall builders. Bless us and keep us, Lord. We thank you for all that you'll continue to do in this church and in these lives. We thank you for it in your son's precious name, for his sake. Amen.